welcome to the Dave and Raul Show podcast. Hi, Raul. Hey, David. How's it going? Not too bad. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and it is probably one of the rainiest and coolest that we've had in a while. I don't even remember a past holiday weekend that was rainy and cool like this because Memorial Day weekend is traditionally viewed as the unofficial start of summer, and it definitely does not feel anything like an unofficial start to summer. No, it definitely feels like a fall day, I would say. Yeah, it's it's damp and dreary and cloudy, and it's been like that. I mean, Friday was kind of cool already, right. and then Saturday was still cool, and we're talking about highs in the 50s, and right now it's probably in the upper 40s, but feels like just the mid-40s. I mean, I think Memorial Day itself will be warmer in the 70s, but it won't get into the 70s until like late afternoon. Right. Now what we've been used to, at least over the past week, week and a half, where it was hitting close to the 90s or at least high 80s, the sun coming down. So those definitely felt like a July or August type weather, minus the humidity, but definitely out of the ordinary for this type of weekend, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Normally this is more of the beach weather people walking along the boardwalks, out and about. I mean, it's still a little different because we're still in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic, although the tide has started to change and the outlook looks a lot better than where we were a year ago or even just five, six months ago, where with vaccines and with risks to more people going down because of the availability of vaccines, the outlook looks a lot better where this may be more of a normal summer than it has been in over a year. Yeah, definitely. I am seeing a lot more people on the streets, a lot more cars on the streets, passing by restaurants. All of those are, I wouldn't say at full, full capacity, but for the most part, a lot fuller than you've been seeing over the last few months. So definitely things have started picking up and hopefully from there, it just gets a lot better without any more spread or anything like that. So hopefully... We're in a good place, and there's nothing that's going to be bad coming out of all of this that's going on now with all the restrictions being more relaxed. Right. I mean, we're hoping that we're going towards the up and up where things will look better, the outlook will continue to get better, and we won't see the infection rates increasing post any of these holidays because we will have the three major holidays over the period of the summer. We have the Memorial Day holiday weekend, we're going to have the July 4th weekend, and then we're going to have Labor Day, which will close out or be the unofficial closeout of summer. And that's still a large window. We're talking about June, July, August, early September. So we have three plus months to go through and just making sure that everyone remains responsible and takes the necessary precautions to the extent necessary, while at the same time, just being vigilant and just being aware that even if you're vaccinated, you're not 100% immune, that the risk of getting sick and being hospitalized and the risk of death is lower, it's not zero. So just understanding that and keeping that in the back of your mind so that when you do participate in events, go to gatherings, things like that, that you remain vigilant and you don't take unnecessary risks. I think there's a lot to be said about the honor system in terms of the way things work now because the CDC has loosened a lot of the guidelines and a lot of states are following suit by doing exactly that, opening up more, removing the capacity limits, 
removing some of the mask and social distancing limits. But at the same time, it relies a lot on the honor system. If you're vaccinated, then you know it, but no one else necessarily will know it because there are a lot of states that say, well, we don't want vaccination passports. We don't want that requirement that people have to prove that they're vaccinated. And then there's the other side, which is, you know, in order to participate in certain events, we're limiting it to vaccinated people and you do need to show proof. So there's going to be a lot of controversy. And the point of the podcast is not to get into the politics of it or get into the controversy of it, but just to bring up the point that there's a lot of that going on. Absolutely. And we'll see usually within the two weeks after a holiday, right, how well people were doing that. Because if those numbers start going up, kind of obvious what happened there. And we just know from a responsibility standpoint what could happen, right? You, you never really know. But like you said, everyone just has to do their part really at this point. We all want to get back to our normal, right? Or a new normal, whatever, whatever it is. But the last thing we want to see is for us to go backwards again, right? No one wants us to repeat another six months of what we've been seeing at all because we want to get back to that normal, do what we used to do, enjoy the weather, for the summer, at least here in New York, right? Summer's usually pretty cool, but last thing you really want to do is just lose another summer. That'd be unfortunate. Right, and I think not just the summer, but you're looking at the rest of the year because then we start getting into the holiday season. Will we have a fairly normal-type holiday season Absolutely. where Rockefeller Center, you're going to have the tree up and you're going to have people participating at the lighting ceremony and lighting ceremonies across the city and across the country, or Thanksgiving, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. What will that be like this year? I mean, there were already some events that were switched over to virtual through at least the early part of summer because at the time the decisions had to be made, we were still at a point in the pandemic where we weren't as confident that we were on this up and up. We were still slowly mitigating the spread we were taking a very careful approach at moving forward because vaccinations were starting to increase. But at the same time, there was a limit in terms of supply and there was a limit as to who was able to get vaccinated at the time. So I think there were just a lot of things that were slowly building up to where we are now to get us to this point, but we weren't there yet. And now we're at the point where if you want to get vaccinated, you can get vaccinated. There are a lot of places where you can just walk in. I mean, here in New York City, for example, I see on the weekends they have the vaccination buses set up at various sites. So you can just sign up and get vaccinated there. The MTA was doing a partnership as well to do vaccinations in the subway stations. So you can get vaccinated and you get like a MetroCard and some free rides and things like that. Some states are doing lotteries for people who get vaccinated. There are ways of encouraging people who are hesitant to get vaccinated to get vaccinated. And also the idea that you can get rid of the masks and the social distancing to some extent when you are vaccinated. But then there's the other side of it where like if you're getting on an airplane or you're getting onto public transportation, that masks are still required. And it's not so much an issue of distinguishing who's vaccinated, who's not but protecting everyone. As we said from the very beginning, there's a lot that we don't know about the virus. We don't know what the long-term implications will be. And so you just want to take that extra care and exercise that due diligence so that you protect yourself and you protect others. Yep, absolutely. I guess to touch upon what you're talking about, them giving incentives now to 
getting the vaccine, trying to encourage people, just because there have been methods, I guess, on social media that have discouraged it for whatever reason. And now I guess it's sort of like a damage control, right, where they're giving these incentives to say, do this, do that, or again, also, if you want to walk without the mask, get the vaccine, these type of things. So it is very interesting how they've tried different methods now to give people the incentive to go ahead, take the vaccine, it's safe. So it'll be really interesting to see what develops, I guess, over the next few months, like you said, through the summer into what will become the holiday season. And will our holiday season be back to a, a normal again? Because we've already lived through one unnormal type of holiday season, which was very unique, very odd, definitely doing all of this talk through, I guess, a Teams or FaceTime. While it's gotten very normal, it still feels very weird to have to do that without having that face-to-face or one-on-one interaction with somebody else. It still feels not too right. So it'll be good once people can just really be face-to-face with one another, interacting, and just enjoying Yeah, I mean, I think it's been nice for us, as we've said in the past, to be able to record this podcast and resume this podcast in some fashion where we've been able to do it remotely. We're doing it over FaceTime. You have equipment. I have equipment. We're able to record. We're able to put it together. We're able to get the episodes out. But it would also be nice to be able to get to a point where we can do some of these episodes face-to-face and try some different things, too, that we can't do remotely. So I look forward to being able to get back to that. But even then, I think it's going to be a slow process. That goes into the next point or the next topic that we're going to talk about is just the vaccination experience because I got vaccinated, you got vaccinated. And even though I have reached the point where I'm fully vaccinated, this is 14 plus days after the second dose, I'm not doing away with the mask. I'm still using a mask when I go out. I'm still taking the extra precautions because even though I know what the relaxed guidance is from the CDC and what scientists and health officials and researchers are saying, I'm also taking the extra steps to protect myself, protect others, because there are the concerns of can you still contract the virus? And we know that you can still contract the virus even if you're fully vaccinated. I mean, the New York Yankees, for example, they had eight members, a combination of players and I think coaches and staff who contracted the virus even after they were fully vaccinated. So you know that you can still contract the virus. We also know based on some of the initial research that in the cases where you have breakthrough cases, many of the people might be asymptomatic or they might have very mild symptoms. And when you're vaccinated, there's a reduction to the risk of death and hospitalizations and serious illness, all positive things. But there's also the possibility that you're in that very small sample of people. It is a breakthrough case and you do end up hospitalized and you do end up really sick, something like that. So my perspective of it is why take that risk? Why not just take the extra precaution for the time being? Keep an eye on the science, keep an eye on the research, keep an eye on how things are going and then slowly start to pull back on some of those requirements and those preventive measures if it's safe to do so. Obviously, like we said earlier, if you get on a train or a plane, you still have to wear a mask, you still have to follow guidance. 
But if you're going outside for a jog or taking a walk, you don't. But even though I'm vaccinated, I'm still going to take the necessary precautions because I'm not at that level where I'm ready to say, let's just go back to the way they were before. My mindset is let's take the extra precautions, keep running them for a bit longer because, look, it's a personal choice. There's no harm to me. And better yet, it's probably a safer thing for everyone just for the time being. What are your thoughts? I agree. So definitely, while it's nice to not have to wear your mask, right? You're fully vaccinated. You don't have to wear your mask. I'm still doing that if I'm within a crowded area. Obviously, if I'm walking out and there's really no one else on the block, then I feel, yeah, I can take off my mask. I can get some fresh air because you need that, right? You need that fresh air once in a while. You can't just go on walking around without that. So definitely, if it's not crowded, I'll take off my mask for a little bit. But if I'm walking into a more crowded, denser area, then I put it back on. And I have done dining out a few times as well. And some restaurants are still telling you, well, unless you're seated, then you can have the mask off. And if you're going to walk to the bathroom, go wherever, you have to put the mask back on. There are other restaurants who are are not doing that either, right? It's really up to them what they want to do. But... A lot of places, again, they're also going to 100% capacity. So you see everyone just standing around and you you don't really know. Well, how do you know? Are these people vaccinated, not vaccinated? What's the combination? So what does it hurt to take that extra precaution for yourself at this point? It's still very early in all of this to just say, yeah, I can just do away with it and not have to worry about it. But you still have to carry your mask anyway because you don't know. There are certain places, like I said. Some places will still need this. Some places may not need it. Either case, you have to bring it with you anyway. Might as well just add that layer of protection at this point. Give it some more time. Done it for this long, right? Why not just for a little bit longer as we see how things progress? Right, exactly. And that's my thought and my thinking, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the vaccination experience. And let's break it down to first location. Where I went was a New York City Department of Health vaccination site, and I felt that they were very well organized and very structured in terms of how they operated. So outside of the facility, they had staff ready to help people to check the paperwork. And when I went, it was still at a time when the vaccines were not as available. It was open to people in my age group, and I didn't go because of underlying health conditions anything like that. It was primarily, it was open to people in my age group. And so there were still, at that time, limited appointments where you could get your vaccination. So that was the first thing. But once you got there to the location, it was very organized, provided that you had all your paperwork and information in order. Now, with the New York City Department of Health sites and in New York State in general, most sites you could do everything online, schedule your appointment, fill out all the necessary paperwork, including like the state paperwork, there was stuff that you had to do for the state. And you have all that proof ready and available to you. And you bring that with you the day of your first appointment. And then outside, they would check everything. They check your ID, make sure you are who you say you are, make sure all your information is correct. And then you go inside to the building and they separate it into two sections. There's the section where you actually get your vaccination. And then there's a section where you sit there for the extra 15 minutes so that they can make sure that in that 15 minute window, The vaccine goes through your system. You have no sudden issues, no allergic reactions, so on and so forth. And I think overall, it was a very structured process because you go in there. Everyone's very helpful. 
you sit down, they explain to you what you're getting, you know, which vaccine you're getting. They're going to make sure all your information is correct so that your information on the vaccination card is correct. And then after you got your injection, then they direct you to the area where you would sit for the 15 minutes. And everything was social distance. Chairs were six feet apart, so everyone had a proper space to sit. You had to have your mask on. And the one thing that was different about this New York City Vax site was when you scheduled your appointment, it didn't automatically schedule your second dose. And I know a lot like the New York State vaccination sites, and if you schedule appointments at pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS and the Rite Aids, they would automatically schedule the second appointment for you to ensure that that second dose was reserved for you. And with the New York City fact site, that did not happen through the online system. When you completed your first dose, went to sit down for the 15 minutes, people had iPads or tablets walking around to help you schedule that second appointment. But it was at least very helpful so that you knew that you could get your second appointment and you didn't have to worry about going home and having to go online again and try to find an appointment. The other thing is that when you were leaving after your first dose, they checked your paperwork to make sure that you got your vaccination card and that you got your second dose appointment scheduled. Now, in terms of the second dose, it was pretty much the same. Same exact process with the exception that I think a majority of the people when I went for my second appointment were there for their second dose. And so when you were leaving, the main difference was they're checking to make sure that you had your vaccination card, that you had your second dose received, and they tell you that, okay, you're all good. And then 14 days after your second dose, you're fully vaccinated. And I didn't see as many people walking around with the tablets to help people schedule appointments, which is what told me that most of these people are here for their second dose. So why don't you talk about your experience in terms of the site that you went to? You don't have to name the specific site, but you can just kind of give some details. Right, exactly. So again, like you said, I'm not going to name where it went, but it was one of the big name pharmacies. I scheduled my appointments so that I would get my first one. My second one got scheduled. And, you know, when you first schedule it, you get an, pretty much an email that just says, this is what you need to bring. Be prepared. It'll help things go much faster. So in advance of that appointment, went ahead, downloaded, I think it's like a consent form. And if you're in New York State, it's another form you have to fill in. You have to bring a printed version of the email confirming your confirmation number, obviously bring your IDs and medical insurance, things like that. So I had all that prepped, all ready to go. This was at a pharmacy close to my home. So I got there a bit early. I'd probably say about half an hour. They say, try to get there 15 minutes before. So I get there and it was extremely crowded. It was a bit of a mess. There was a a sign that said, if you're here for the vaccination, go here. If you're here for prescriptions, you know, go there. So there was just one window for vaccinations. Everyone was kind of scattered because they had chairs for the people who just got vaccinated to sit there for 15 minutes or something like that. But you weren't really sure because everyone just sort of is spaced out, right? They're looking different directions and you're like, what am I supposed to do here? Is this a line? So I had to get on there, ask people, are you waiting a line? This and that. Finally, get up to the window and I see I'm here for my appointment. It's for this time. I have my paperwork. This and that. He's like, all right, give me a second. So the guy just asked me for ID, medical, insurance, all that. He grabs it. I'm like, okay. So takes all that, starts popping stuff into the mach- into the computer and things like that. I'm like, all right. He he's not really saying anything. He's not asking for anything more. 
And then he just says, all right, uh, I'll call you back up. Give, give me a couple of minutes. So I say, okay, sure. Waited a few minutes. Again, it's starting to get even more crowded now because other people are showing up. Some people are getting the vaccination. So it's, it's kind of a mess. And there was even someone who said, you know, this seems like all a mess. It's unorganized. And the guy said, yeah, this is expected. This is how it works. I'm like, all right. So you know, trying to ignore all that. I get called back up again. He validates and says, is this your first or second appointment? I say my first appointment. And I had to say that a few times. You know, he, he was asking me the same question over right. and over and over. I'm like, it's my first appointment. Finally, he, he gets a, a board with some paperwork. He says, you need to fill this out. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I already filled this out. He's like, well, this is different. I'm like, okay, this is really weird. And I open up and I start looking at it. As he's, he's just like pretty much showing where I need to fill in stuff. Not, you don't have to fill in the whole form, just pieces of it. And right. I'm looking and he could tell that I'm looking at the form and they look pretty much identical. And he says, oh yeah, this is pretty much the same form, but you need to fill it out here. Which so, made no sense. So I'm like anyway, standing there looking at him. Like right. I'm standing there like, okay. Gives me the forms. I, I brought my own pen. So I started filling it out. Yeah, this is the same form that I filled out already at home. Brought it with me. Except they're just saying you don't have to fill out all the sections, just these few sections. And then there was another paper on the bottom. Guess what? That was the New York State form that you had to fill out that I already right. did already. So just going along with that, all right, fine. Filled it in, brought it back up. Then he just gives me, you know, usually when you get like a prescription, you get that paperwork. That just says, here's the prescription, right. here's what you need to know, blah, blah, blah. So they gave some paperwork there, right. so just wait until you're called. I probably don't get called till 10, 15 minutes after when my appointment was actually scheduled for. But from there on, it went very simple, right? Went in there, sat down, they asked you a couple of questions, and then, you know, which arm you wanted, and then that's it. Give you the shot, went really quickly, and they gave me my card, the vaccination card. And then just said, right. yeah, just stick around for 15 minutes if you feel good, and that's it. But overall, it was just a very messy experience from the paperwork side, right? Why have this email, looks great, formatted, tells you what to bring. But you get there, and you're filling out the same form again. It just felt like right. a lot of wasted time, and I feel that they were backed up because they were doing that. Because... You're right. having people do the same thing over and over and over. That's not to say everyone brought their paperwork, right, to be fair. But I think it could have been structured a little bit better on that first instance. Now, when I went there the second time, <laughs> there was no line at all. Heck, there wasn't anyone at the vaccination window. I had to go to the prescription line. And I explained to them I was here for my second shot. That went smoothly. Then I actually got my second shot probably 10 minutes even before my appointment. But... Again, I think a lot of people just didn't show up for that second appointment. I did see a couple of the people that were there right. for my first appointment, but I think it just went quicker. I highly doubt their process changed, right? I still had to fill in the form again, that same form. I didn't even bother bringing it this time because I knew I'd probably fill it out again anyway. So I just did that. Yes, I did fill in the form. It went smoother, but I think it's more so that there were less people this time and they weren't just trying to get through everyone and things like that. But overall, again, yeah, I think... Getting the vaccine itself, yeah, that part was fine, smooth, but it was the paperwork process that just was too much at that point. Right. I think after that, I asked you, it was like, what was your experience again? Because I remember you had told me briefly, and I said, did you have all this that had to happen? I swear you brought your paperwork and say, oh, great, you have it. That's it. Yeah, you just had to bring the letter that had your information about your first dose and then your second dose, and that sheet had like a QR code on it that they could scan in. 
And then the New York State form, you fill out the form online, and then you get a confirmation page that you print out. And that's really all you have to bring. So just the letter that shows your appointment for that day, and then the New York State form. And that's really all they needed. They had the tablets outside where they could scan the QR code to make sure that your information matched with the scheduled appointment. They check your ID to make sure that you are the person you say you are. And that was it. When it came to the second appointment, they looked at the vaccination cards as proof that you got your first dose and that you were here for the second dose. They again scanned the QR code. The paperwork says to bring the New York State form again, but they didn't check that. It's kind of silly because you can't get your first dose unless you did the New York State form. And I think it was just whoever generated that letter template just copy and paste the same information. The other thing about it is the day of, you get an email to remind you that you have your appointment but also that you go through pre-screening. So there's a pre-screening survey that you have to fill out the morning of. Just ask you pretty much routine questions like, within the last 14 days, have you been in contact with anyone with COVID? Within the last 14 days, have you tested positive for COVID? Do you have any like symptoms of illness? Things like that. And then once you finish replying, then you're done and you're good to go. The reason for that is if you're sick or you've contracted the virus or you've been in contact with anyone, then you're supposed to go through quarantine and you shouldn't be going there getting vaccinated because you run the risk of infecting other people. So I get that. If you got all your paperwork done and you followed all the instructions, it was very streamlined going in there. And they had a lot of tables set up with partitions and a chair and then a nurse or a doctor or someone who is trained in giving the vaccinations, and there was like 30 or 40 of them set up. So it was very streamlined to get in there. You sit down. Like I said, they explained to you the process. And with the second dose, they confirmed which vaccine they're giving you. And I think that was important because there are some, when you go to some of the big pharmacies, I had read a report where they said over 5 million people have skipped the second shots. And one of the reasons for that for some people was the fact that they weren't able to get the proper second shot. So maybe they got Moderna the first time. And then the second time they go to the same pharmacy, they only had Pfizer or vice versa. The first time they got Pfizer, and then the second time they went to get their second appointment, their second dose, they didn't have the Pfizer shot. They had the Moderna shot now. And so now you'd have to find a different location to get the shot. And after trying a few times, people just gave up. Other people experienced side effects, and they just, I guess, didn't want to go through it again. I mean, there were exceptions, like if you consulted with your doctor and you had a serious adverse reaction to the first dose, then you might be advised not to get the second dose. But for most people, if you just get the mild expected side effects, that you should still get your second dose. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about side effects. So for me, with the first dose, so we'll break it down with the first dose first. When I got the initial injection, I felt that kind of sensitivity build fairly quickly in my arm. And I would say within probably that 15-minute window, you could feel like if you were kind of touching the arm, it felt sensitive. It didn't feel like it was pain. It was just sensitivity. It was tender. And then as the hours progressed over time, and it really wasn't until I think the next day for me that it really got to the point where it was more of hurting, where if I try to lift the arm or stretch the arm from one side to the other, you feel that pull and you feel a bit of that pain. And then gradually, I mean, I never had a fever, but I did have fatigue. I did feel at times like, you know, your head feels a little heavy, that you have some night sweats, for example, none of the chills, none of the fever or anything else. And I did take Tylenol afterwards, not before, afterwards, 
to treat any of the symptoms. But it was kind of maybe after a few days, it cleared up. I will say that I think for a few days thereafter, I did still get things like the tingling in your body, sometimes like the itchiness, which some people experience. So I didn't get like rashes or anything like that, but I kind of felt that tingling and a little bit of the itchiness where you would take like an allergy medication to help treat because it was just kind of uncomfortable. But that was primarily the sensation. I think the biggest was probably the fatigue and the tiredness, having a lack of energy to do things. That was mostly, for me, what the side effects were. What about you after the first dose? Yeah, so me, when I first got it, it felt like a pinch. So it was more like a like a flu shot. You know, when you first just get that flu shot, you feel that little pinch, and that's it. Walked around for 15 minutes, and I didn't really feel much. It felt fine. Got home, ate dinner, still relatively normal. I'd probably say not till later that evening did I feel the arm get a little bit sore, but not to the point where it was hurting or it was sensitive like how you had mentioned it. It felt like maybe right. someone just punched me really hard, right? And you, you just feel that. And right. I was still able to move it. But it was not till after I woke up the next day where it felt like I couldn't really move my arm. If I moved it, that's when I f- started feeling the right. pains of it. But it wasn't to the point where I needed to take Tylenol or anything like that. It was just that yeah, it bothered me enough. But it wasn't to the point where I said, all right, I, I need a Tylenol or something like that. And it, it definitely felt like getting a tetanus shot, which I had a booster a couple of years ago. And it felt something more like that, but maybe five times as bad as that. So it was only right. if I really raised my arm up high did I feel the pain, things like that. I didn't get any of the fatigue in this shot. I would have got it on the second one, but we'll talk about that one later. But I didn't really feel anything to that. Right. And I'd probably say... That pain in my arm was probably through, I had my shot on Wednesday, probably say by Saturday, it kind of went away. It wasn't too bad. I think by Saturday, it was just like this very light thing. Again, it feels like someone just lightly punched me or something, and and I was still feeling a little bit of that. But overall, I'd say outside of just having that arm pain, it really didn't affect me in any other way. I didn't feel tired, fatigued, or anything like that. I just felt normal outside of just having that pain in my arm. Yeah, I mean, I think the pain in the arm is the most standout. It also came in kind of waves. That's the other thing. It wasn't as much of like everything hits you at once. I know that some people that I know, they've said that, okay, the initial maybe first 24 hours, nothing, then they feel like they got hit by by a truck and they're down and out for like a day or two and then they're, they're fine. And for me, it was never like hit by a truck feeling, but more of it came in waves. So there was, I think, like two days later, I woke up after the first dose, and I had that kind of little bit of the muscle soreness. And so in the morning, you get out of bed, and it feels sore. But then like two hours later, it's like it it just vanished. It went away. Whereas when you normally have a cold and you have that soreness, it's stuck with you like for days, two, three, four, five days until it starts to diminish. This was like, okay, you wake up in the morning, you go to sleep, nothing. You wake up in the morning, you have that soreness, and then two hours later, it's gone and you're fine again. And that's how you know it's kind of your immune system kicking up and and working its way through the system. The fatigue, for example, didn't just, okay, I had one night of fatigue and then it was fine. It would come maybe two, three days later. You just, it was not just fatigue, but like a lack of energy. Like sitting felt exhausting, standing felt exhausting. That sort of feeling, which I did not have before getting the vaccine. And sometimes even, you know, jumping just quickly to like after the second dose and being fully vaccinated, 
sometimes just having that feeling, that residual, that I think everyone's body works a little differently. And some people are more sensitive, some people are less sensitive, some people are more average. And I think like for me, it's just, it's still in the system and it's still part of the engine that's working. And I think it's still in the process of adapting, at least for me. And at least that's my feeling. And so it'll come in like little waves and then gradually it'll purge out your system in terms of the side effects and the residuals and then you'll be fine. But it definitely felt like it was in waves after the first dose because what was funny is that leading up to the second dose, as I got closer, I started to get those strange side effects, like the tingling in your fingers and your toes, the random like itchy spots on your body. And again, it's not like a rash. It's just like you feel a little itch, that sort of feeling. And it was that sort of feeling that leading up to the second dose that I started to feel again as I was getting closer. And then like a day or two before, it was like, fine. And then after you get your second dose, then it kind of starts that cycle again. I mean, I think it was just me personally. I haven't read like anyone else kind of mention that experience. Some people may be experiencing that. And again, everyone's a little different. When they put out the guidelines as to the types of side effects people receive, it's based on their sample set of people who they did in the trials and the studies. But more and more people, as they get vaccinated, will have their own experience. So let's jump over to the second dose. So what was interesting with the second dose is when the injection went in, I didn't feel anything. There was like no impact. I didn't have the soreness. I didn't have tenderness, any of that feeling for at least three or four hours after I got that second dose. So it felt like nothing. And for at least the first couple hours, I was thinking, am I going to feel just nothing from this? And then about that three, four hour mark, then you say, oh, now kind of start touching the arm and you start squeezing the area and you feel that tenderness starting to build. And then by the next day, it's like, okay, there you go. There's the pain. And I don't know that it was more intense than the first one. It was probably on par with the first one. Although I think that, again, all the side effects came in waves. And I woke up, I think, the next morning. So the first dose, it took two mornings before I got up and I felt a little bit of the muscle soreness. And this one, the next morning, I felt that muscle soreness. But again, it was the same thing. Within a couple hours, it went away. And over the period of the next 14 days, you get a little bit of the fatigue, the lack of energy, There was a bit more of like the eye fatigue where your eyes feel heavy and you just want to like close your eyes on random days. It wasn't like every day, but I just felt like it was on random days. You just felt more fatigue. And even if I got more sleep, it didn't help. So I know that it was kind of part of the engine that was working. And it took roughly about the same amount of time for the arm pain to go away and subside. I mean, I took Tylenol again after the second dose to treat any symptoms but again, no fever, no, this time, no like night sweats. Like I didn't wake up in the middle of the night, hot and, and sweaty. So that was a good thing. But I think now after that 14 day plus cycle, I think there's still some residuals. Like I still feel there are certain days where I have that lack of energy and that level of fatigue that hasn't completely worn off yet. So I think it's still working through the system and Again, like I said, everyone's a little bit different. They might not experience the same things. But there's no other thing that I can attribute it to other than the vaccination. But other than that, I haven't had any sort of like serious side effects that would prohibit you from functioning. What about you? When I got that second shot, I 
definitely felt my arm tighten up a bit. Right. But that was it at that moment. I'm like, okay, this one's a little different. I felt not that pinch, but it just felt very tight in my arm a bit. But it wasn't hurting or anything else like that. But that's all you felt. And I definitely say this one kicked in so much faster. Within that evening, my arm was in so much pain. I felt it just adding on. I'm like, okay, my arm started to hurt a bit more. Then the next hour, more, more, more. The pain yeah. just started adding up to the point where just trying to lift up my arm was so painful. And it felt so heavy. So I definitely had to take Tylenol at that point. Which actually worked really well. It took away, I'd say, most of the pain to just where I just felt like my arm was sore. But I definitely needed to take that because it was just beyond what happened last time. And I've said this to you before where it just kicked in so much faster than that first one. And definitely now, within that evening, I felt fatigued. I just wanted to go to sleep. And the good thing was I was able to sleep pretty well. I slept early that day, but... I did wake up for this one-hour time span. I think it was like maybe from 2 to 3 a.m. I couldn't sleep. I just felt really weird. I couldn't explain what it was, whether whether your heart was racing but not really, but you feel it kind of pounding, and you just couldn't fall back to sleep. No matter what it was, you just weren't comfortable. You just felt very uncomfortable. You were lying one way, lie the other way. I got up for a little bit, drank some water, lie back down. Just couldn't right. feel comfortable enough. And then finally, I did fall back to sleep. Next morning, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to work. But I just said, you know what? Let me just take Tylenol again, see how that goes. Took it. Again, it brought down the pain of the the shoulder. Because it was actually really hard for me to get up. Because a lot of times, I roll on my arm to get up and use my arm. That I couldn't use. It just felt so painful. But once I did take the Tylenol, I felt a little bit better. So I ended up working through the day. But I felt that fatigue again throughout the day where I was like, oh. This is this day feels so long. Finally into that evening, again, I felt very tired, fell asleep. But this time, I actually woke up. I had this really bad cough, like this really dry cough, almost like a, you know, like a bronchitis type cough where you can hear it. Right. And I said, oh boy, this must be one of the symptoms of this. Because I remember you, you can have these type of coughs and things like that. Because it was just random. I, had, I didn't really have a cough beforehand. This was just like randomly out of the blue. Once again, I woke up. I was probably up for an hour or so. I drank some water, some some hot water this time, or warm water. Just sort of settled the body, and then, again, I fell asleep. Woke up. My arm was still hurting a bit. Took some Tylenol. But I'd say, again, I got this shot on Wednesday. I'd probably say Saturday into Sunday, that's when I started feeling much better, when my arm didn't hurt, and I could stop taking Tylenol. The cough went away. Where I wasn't having that anymore. And it just reduced down. The pain reduced down to, again, feeling like someone's just punched you. And you're just like, ow, okay. (laughs) I'm just a little sore. That's it. But I'd probably say by, let's say Monday, Tuesday, everything else sort of went away at that point. And was back to the norm. And I still have a couple of days left for that additional 14 days after. But I haven't felt anything beyond that. So... That's good. Like I said, if that's the most that I'm going to have out of this, I'm actually pretty happy because I've heard some other stories about how bad it can be. So it wasn't the worst, but obviously having that pain isn't a fun thing, especially when you're working and you're trying to do everything else. It does pull you down for a bit. But once you're through it, it's I guess it was worth it, right? Just, just having whatever happened 
and now I'm pretty much it, done It's with added it. peace of mind. Yeah, it's added peace of mind that if you do have a vaccine that proves efficacy at 94, 95%, so Moderna 94, Pfizer 95, Johnson Johnson, I think it's 76 yeah. or 77, something like that, in that range, then it gives you peace of mind that you at least have the resources, that you're providing your body with the resources to combat the virus in the event that you somehow contract it or are in contact with it. Look, there are different philosophies among different people. Some people who have already had COVID, who have recovered, may be of the thinking that, okay, I had it already, I have natural immunity. Again, you know, the problem with everything is you need a long period of time to study all the different aspects in order to have the science down. And the problem right now is something like COVID has been so brutal. You have in the U.S. over half a million people who have died from the virus and millions more who have been infected in some way, shape, or form by the virus that now you're looking at any tools available that can help stop it. You know, when they say, for example, you need to stop the bleeding, you know, the first thing when you have a critical situation, you just got to stop the bleeding. That's what you need to do. You need to stop the bleeding because if you can't stop it, it just continues and continues and continues. So you need something. So the vaccines are right now a tool in that fight. You know, masks are a tool. Social distancing are tools. Each of these are tools to help to mitigate the risk. Vaccines are now at the next level to try to get to a level of normalcy. Yes, there will always be combating views. Look, at the end of the day, it's a personal choice. People who choose not to get vaccinated, it's a personal choice. People who choose to be vaccinated, it's a personal choice. People who use masks versus not, personal choice. But again, when you look at the bigger picture, it's how do I protect myself and others simultaneously because we live in this world together and we need to do our best to help one another. It would be an ideal situation if people were of the same mindset of we need to work collaboratively, collectively to find a way to protect everyone. The views are always different because there are conflicting philosophies as to what's the priority. I mean, I think the general priority is when you have a situation like this, first do everything you can to protect and save lives and then worry about everything else. Now, the caveat with that is when you try to worry about everything else, for example, like the economy and jobs and people being able to pay their rent and things like that, that's a bigger system. And unfortunately, we're not in that utopian society where you could say, let's do away with money. Forget about money. Let's look at a federation model in a world where we don't have to worry about money. Everyone has a place to live. Everyone is working for the betterment of society. Ideally, that would be great. It's not realistic right now. So the fact is there are other factors that you have to look at. When people are afraid, people tend to be reactive and they do things in response that are in line with being reactive. And what you really want to be is you want to be proactive. You want to be able to do everything you can to mitigate a situation, to bring down a situation. And in this particular case, I've made the personal choice of getting vaccinated because I think it's in the best interest of protecting myself and protecting others, having the tools that my body needs to protect me and to help prevent me from affecting other people and to stay safe. That's what I think it's going to do. Now, if I had other information that said, okay, the risk to benefit ratio was reversed. The risk is 90%, but the benefit is 10%. 
I'll rethink that. I mean, I would say that if I was eligible to be vaccinated on day one of the vaccine coming out, then no, I would not have been the first one to jump in and say, let me go head first and do it. I wanted to wait until there was more data and I was studying the information that was coming through to be sure that this is in the best interest. I'll also say that I was initially looking at the J&J vaccine as the choice because one shot and you're done. That's great to be able to just get one shot. But then they had the issue, you know, they did have that pause because they were noticing issues with the J&J that they had to investigate further. They ultimately determined that the benefit outweighed the risk. But when you do a comparison between J&J, Moderna, Pfizer, then you say, well, okay, Moderna and Pfizer don't have this risk at the moment. So maybe that's a safer option to go with. Long-term effects, we don't know. The hope is that there are no negative effects. But right now, we're just at that state where you have to kind of weigh your options. Here's the information in front of you. Now make an educated decision on what you want to do. And the educated decision is, based on the information available, I think that getting vaccinated is a prudent decision to make so that we can get back to a certain level of normalcy. I mean, if I'm provided information to the contrary, then I would have made a different decision. But again, I also, like I said, did not go ahead first and say, I'm going to be first in line. I'm going to wait X number of months as more data comes out and as the vaccine becomes more readily available to make that decision. Look, if other people choose not to be vaccinated, that's a choice they make. There's not much you can do about it. But at least I know that I've taken the proactive steps to protect myself, protect others. And hopefully the outcome is that these vaccines are as effective in the real world as they are in the trials. And that we will get to that level of more normalcy over the course of the year and then as we head into 2022. Now, just touching back on something that you had mentioned about sleep, I did run into that problem the night after I got the vaccine, the night of the vaccine, of both the first and second dose, where I had some trouble sleeping for a few hours. And the only thing I could attribute it to was the vaccine, because it wasn't like it was a super hot night or anything like that. It was really just the fact that I had the vaccine on that day. So possibly that's what I would think it was, because it really wasn't any other reason. If it was a sleep issue, I would think that it would be the night before getting the vaccine that I would have a little bit trouble sleeping, but not the day after I've right. gotten and it. I'm sure it's some sort of reaction in the body, right? Some sort of chemical reaction in the body right. that's just affecting you in these different ways. Like I said, it was very hard to explain what it was specifically, but if I didn't have it leading up to it, meaning I've been sleeping, you know, relatively normal where sometimes you right. do wake up a little bit and then fall back to sleep things like that. This was that rarity where I just couldn't fall back to sleep because I just didn't feel comfortable. But it wasn't because I was hot or, you know, like you said, or too cold or something like that or something was bothering me. I just couldn't really put my finger on it. Well, what really is it? And then you're just sitting there lying back and forth trying to figure out, what do I do to fall back to sleep? Do I have some water? Do I go to the bathroom? What do I do just so I can fall back to sleep? And eventually, I think it just, again, like I said, whatever that chemical reaction was happening in the body, I think eventually just sort of mellowed out, and then I was able to fall back asleep and get that sleep. But definitely within that hour, it just felt weird. No better word to explain yeah, it. it. Just 
No, it messes with your equilibrium. Right, exactly. Yeah, it messes, it messes with your equilibrium. And so when your body's not quite balanced out, then you run into those problems, those sleep issues. I mean, I will say that after like the first and second dose, the big problem was sometimes when you roll onto the arm, oh, yeah. you don't realize oh, yeah. and you feel that Definitely. pain. And it's like, that okay, that, that was that, not a good that move. That did wake me up a couple of times here and there throughout the time when I had my shoulder pain. Because, yeah, I would roll over. I'm like, oh, that really hurt. Now sleep back the other way. And then I'm fine. Or I, th- I think there was one of them where I, I just woke up in the middle of the night, grabbed another Tylenol, and boom, it, it went away. Yeah. So that helps it, but you still feel it. When you're rolling on top of it, you definitely feel that. And that sensation does cause you to wake up wondering, wait, what just happened? And like, oh, right, I'm on that shoulder. So obviously that's what's causing that. Yeah. The other thing I liked about the location and the process was the fact that I had read previously that there were some locations, especially with larger vaccination sites, where you'd have one person who would prep like the shots they would draw the solution into the needles and have the needles like lined up so that they could speed up the process but here at least that wasn't the case the nurses or the doctors who were administering the shots would get the solution right right through the syringe and then subsequently do the injection when i got my second dose what was interesting was i think there was a problem with the needle that they were using the needle got bent so the person who was drawing the solution. They're drawing in there. I know that it was taking a while to draw the solution. I know that you have to be careful because you have to draw a certain amount of solution, not too much, not too little, in order for the vaccine to be effective. But right after he drew the solution, I noticed that he took the tip of the needle off, threw it away, and then put another needle Uh, on top of the syringe. And then I noticed, like, yeah, the tip of the needle was curved. Something had happened with that needle. So definitely, I don't want a curved needle being injected. If you also look at the needles, those are pretty long needles. They're like a couple of inches long. Right. But you don't like sense it going into, I mean, you feel the little prick into your skin in and out, but it's not like you're feeling it go in the depth of a couple Definitely, of inches. But for some reason, I don't know what it is. I, I felt like the first one didn't take as long, but I feel like the second one took much longer. And I, for one, do not like needles. So I, I was looking the other way, cringing. I'm like, yeah. oh, no, what's it going to yeah. go in? What's it going to go in? But I felt like it took much longer for the second one. I'm like, is this a longer needle or do they have to push this one in It's slower? not just that, but you know, when when they're pulling the needle out, yeah. if you don't hold the skin down, you know, the skin, you can see the skin come with That's it. why I don't look that and way. It's like, I, I was looking yeah. the other way when they did it. I always do that because I just hate needles. I don't like the sight of it or anything. I look the other way. So I didn't even see them pull it. I mean, I saw it from the side of my eye. But going back to what you said where in some, they sort of have this production line where one person does that bit. Yeah. I'd rather just have the same person doing it because... It could be right. some mix-up of, wait, which one actually, did I do this to that? But that I, I just want the yeah. same person doing it. I don't want three different people doing a different piece of it. One person unbags it. Now the other person gets the solution. Now this person is the one who puts the needle into you. I, I don't like that. I like right. the same person to do it end-to-end because at least they know what they've done versus I have to count on two other people who would have done all this other stuff. To me, that right. bothers well, me. Yeah, well, that's the reason I bring it up, because I had read an article where I think there was in some state where someone was injected with an empty syringe, and they ultimately had to go back and get the shot. And the reason that had happened were there were empty syringes, and then there were the pre-filled ones, and they got mixed up somehow on a table. It's like, I understand the process of wanting to speed it up, but I just don't see that that's a very good way of doing it, unless, exactly, you increase the risk versus the one person 
who will hopefully be trained and has done this numerous times, here's the vial. Here's the syringe. Inject it in. Take out the right amount right. of dosage. Transfer that as the injection into the arm. Yep. And, and that's done. why I didn't mind where I was, so, right? There was just one person doing it. That's it. There's one section. Right. One person doing it. That's it. There were multiple people, multiple sections to go to. It was just one person doing it for everybody, which obviously that can cause some delay. But again, that doesn't create that room for error then because they're just doing everything. They're filling out the card for you. You know, once they do that, once they put their Band-Aid on you, they fill out the card, give you the card, or even beforehand, I think for the second shot, they filled in the card first, gave it to me to hold on to, and then gave me the shot. So I feel there's less room for error when you just have that one person doing it. Sure, does it get a bit slower, but I think the person went pretty quickly with each person. So it's not like they took 10 minutes per person. It was literally maybe five minutes at most per person and was just moving along. Right. I think, yeah, it varies by site. If you go to, like, the larger chain pharmacies where they only have one pharmacist to do the injection, it takes a bit more time because only they can do the injection. Right. When you go to the mass vaccination sites, then they have more trained people. They have more tables set up. I mean, like, the Javits Center opened up as a state vaccination site, so you have tables set up, and they're also doing J&J and Pfizer. So you can kind of speed the process through when you have a larger facility and more people there doing the vaccinations, and that's helpful. And that was kind of the benefit of being able to go to a larger vac site run by the city health department and just kind of have it streamlined along so that, you know, you're not waiting and you're trying to get people moving in and out as quickly as possible. I mean, when I went to get the second dose, I was able to get into my appointment earlier than the scheduled time because there wasn't anyone outside online. And inside, people were already in there. They already got their second dose, and they were just waiting the 15 minutes. And they would have someone walking around saying, okay, the time is now whatever. If your sheet of paper, and they give you a sheet of paper, like a little post-it, with the time when you got the shot and the time that you can leave 15 minutes later. And they say, if your paper says this, then you can leave. So it's very streamlined to get people in and out as quickly as possible to make it as painless as possible. I think the only added step that they made for themselves was that second appointment where they didn't automatically schedule it for you for three weeks or four weeks after your first dose. And so they added a little bit of extra work for themselves by doing that rather than just scheduling it. But that might have also been because the number of appointments were so limited. I mean, if you were trying to get appointments in the earlier part of the year, then the problem was you go up there and even if it said there were appointments, and I looked at the Javits Center at one point for several days in a row, and you go in there, oh, there are appointments available. You click, and then it's like there are no appointments available. So they were just vanishing so quickly. And, I mean, the other problem with going to an appointment site that's further away from you is that you have to take transportation to get there and come back. And so in that window, if you're kind of like you get hit by that side effect and you're not feeling great, the last thing you want to be doing is like be on a train for 30 minutes right. to head home Absolutely. after getting the shot. I just want to be able to head home as quickly as possible and then sit down, hydrate, rest, and so on and so forth. I don't want to be on a train ride for 30, 45 minutes before I can get home. So I think that was an important thing to keep in mind is try to get to a vac site that's close to you. But again, the challenge was at that time, there weren't a lot of appointments available. Now you can pretty much, if you want one, you should be able to get one. But again, it varies on location. Yeah, absolutely. And I was telling you, the reason I hadn't gotten yet, because there weren't sites by me, and I didn't want to have to commute that time and then right. potentially just not feel good and be on the train. I think 
everyone knows this. The train is the worst place you don't want to feel good in, right? You, you've probably right. seen this on a train before where someone doesn't feel good. They have to stop the whole train, but, you know, with it rocking and everything, or you might have a delay on the train and you're stuck there. It's always going to be that worst time when you just don't feel good that something happens on the train or whatever it is, right? That's why I didn't want to necessarily pick something that was further. I picked something within walking distance, 15 minutes or so. That right. way, I doubt it would have kicked in that fast. I'd at least be able to walk back. I mean, there was a train option, but that would have just been a couple stops for me. So not the worst in the world. But just having something close like that reassures you, all right, well, I can walk home potentially in the worst condition. Yes, if I had to take a train, it's just a couple of stops. So it wouldn't take too long. Or, you know, just get a cab. And that would right. and there's get you back quickly, five minutes or so, right? Right. I would also say that there's a benefit when you're above ground and you have the fresh air, that it makes a difference when you might not feel well, that sometimes that helps versus being underground and rocking and in an enclosed space, right. that it's a lot harder. I mean, there are a lot of times where I would just prefer, if I can just walk to where I need to go, above ground, I would prefer that to take the extra time, the extra 10, 15 minutes to walk to the location than to hop on the train. Now, there are other times where you might be carrying stuff and you're just tired and you don't want to have to do that because you have other things to do. You hop on the train. But I know that any time where, like, especially if you're not feeling like 100%, but it's not like you're at the level where I have to lie in bed all day. Exactly. You know, you want to get out and you know that if you go out and about, you'll feel a little better. That if you can stay above ground, if you can breathe in the fresh air, then it helps. Absolutely. Sometimes you just feel like that. Walking, yeah, walking does get you to feel a bit better many times when you're not at that point, like you said. Right? If you're at that point where yeah, you're, I mean, you're just like about to fall asleep, then yeah, no, it's not a good idea. But if it's just Yeah, I mean, I've had times... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've had times where I'm on a crowded train and it's like really warm in there, even with the air conditioning on. And I'll just, if I know that it'll take me an extra 15, 20 minutes to walk, I'll just get off and walk above ground and prefer that over being on that crowded train because it's just not comfortable for me at that point in time. So I'd rather take the less crowded train and walk a little bit more than take the crowded train in order to save a little bit of time. But I think it really helps in the case of, like I said, if you get vaccinated, that if you're out in the fresh air, that that's probably going to help more than like being cooped up somewhere. Yeah, but probably buy a bottle of water or bring a bottle of water with you or Gatorade or just something to just keep you hydrated. I think that was a key thing that I was doing just staying hydrated that whole time so that, yeah. again, the same concept as if you're sick where you're trying to prevent yourself from getting sick and you, you feel like something's coming on. You keep yourself hydrated. That way, you're just letting the body do its thing. But I think that was probably key also into just having very light symptoms overall. Yeah, I mean, I would also say that drinking things like ginger tea, for example, is good because ginger is an anti-inflammatory, right. so that helps. Not everyone likes like ginger tea because it has that spice level. I know Trader Joe's has these packaged ginger mixes that I've been drinking, which are like really potent because they have that burn to them. But the thing is that you have to add, or I at least have to add honey to it, because if you just drink it as the powdered mix, it's really like a dry drink and there's no flavor to it outside of like the burn. So I like adding honey to have a little bit of sweetness, but also make it a little bit smoother so that it doesn't dry up your throat, but at the same time it has the same potency as... The ginger mix naturally. Have you ever had one of those ginger shots? I like shots? it. It's like a ginger I have mixer. not. I mean, I've thought about it. They're actually pretty good. I like them. It's potent, 
and it gets you like, ooh, right. okay. It's actually pretty potent. I actually like it, and I do it once in a while. Pretty good. Does it really have health benefits? I don't know, you know. <laughs> well, ginger in general is an anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So I can say that, like, for me, sometimes when you have, like, muscle aches or soreness, that if I drink it for a few days, I'm fine. Sure. I don't have, like, any of that soreness, those muscle aches. But then if I stop drinking for a few days, then you notice that sometimes you'll have that muscle ache. So I will definitely say that it does work as an anti-inflammatory if you want something more natural and you don't want to like take ibuprofen or leave every single time you have like back pain or or soreness that something like ginger tea can help absolutely it's always good to be able to find like other more natural ways of treating some of like those sort of problems than to have to always take medication for it even if it's over the counter because you can only take so much of that stuff too right your body probably built some sort of immunity to taking all those things anyway I guess you could stick with yeah, ginger, exactly. lemon, stay hydrated, kiwis maybe. In no way am I a doctor or say that this is the way of doing it, right. just to put it out right. there. I'm just saying, based it's, on personal experience, personal. Exactly. it's helped. And sometimes you may say maybe it's a mental thing or whatever. Like I said, taking the ginger shots, I don't know, but I didn't get sick, right? So maybe that's it. But again, it could be other right. contributing factors to that as well. But just trying to keep your body, I guess, in check as best as you can. Yeah. And so the last thing in terms of vaccination, for example, is for those people who get vaccinated, protect that vaccination card. That's the other thing. You know, what's funny is the CDC and government agencies are telling people not to post their vaccination cards on social media. And then you just see people like posting their card. And I mean, at this point in time, it's out there. So there's nothing you can do to undo it. But you should definitely take these steps necessary to protect your vaccination card. I mean, if you want to get it laminated, I mean, like Staples and Office Depot and a bunch of those places are doing it for free. And now there are all these companies who are making money off of like the cases, the storm. I don't remember if I mentioned it on a podcast episode or on a separate call that we had, but I was like, look at the size of the vaccination card just looks like a badge holder, those vinyl ID holders. And I was looking through my supplies and said, wait, I have this pack that I bought at Staples, like a five pack of these batch holders at one point in time that, you know, a few dollars. It's like, oh, it fits right in here. And it's like, people are charging like $10 for a vinyl holder to hold the vaccination card. So you can get like an ID pouch for less than that and put it in there if you don't want to laminate it. I mean, if you want to be really inexpensive, just get a sandwich bag or, you know, a plastic bag and just wrap it in there. I feel like if you've ever been, I guess, maybe to like the Javits Center Auto Show in the past when you used to have it a little different now it's more like a paper one but they used to have it in the plastic or the right. the computer shows or if you've attended mm-hmm. any type of event i guess where they've yeah. given you some sort of card and your name was in it you might want to check that out and see will that fit in there because chances are right the larger ones it may right and you just right. never know so you might not have to spend that extra money out there because again if people want it they're going to try to sell it right there's that demand there, so they're going to they're gonna try to upsell it by how much they can make and just do what they have to do. But chances are you may already have a holder like that at home where you can use it to preserve it, and then you don't have to go laminate it. But I think places like Staples, they're doing free lamina- lamination yeah, services. Yeah, I think it's like until July like that, or something right? like that. My question is, will you need that same card when they do uh, your booster shot? Will they have to do anything no, that the, card? They're going to give you a No, they were boosters. saying that... Yeah, they said the articles that I read said that by that point in time, they'll probably just give you a new card for the booster. Right. Because you can't get a booster unless you got the original vaccination. Right. 
And I did see that I think Moderna or Pfizer, they were doing trials for like a new version of the vaccine that combines like the original vaccine with the booster all in one right. so that you wouldn't need to do like multiple shots for it. But I mean, that's down the road. That's in trials now. So by the time boosters, if they're necessary, they'll probably have that all figured out. Right. But here's the other thing is, you know, once you get your vaccination card, make a copy of it. I mean, you don't have to go. I mean, remember the days you go to a pharmacy, you make five cent copies of the library right. to make copies. You don't have to do that. If you have a scanner at home, you can scan it. Your phone. I mean, if you have an iPhone, for example, there is the tool within the uh, Notes app that you can use to scan. I mean, it's, right. it's not the best. I was playing around with it, and it's like trying to get things aligned wasn't the best. But you could just use the camera and just take a picture of the front and the back and have a back a copy. If you have a scanner, scan it. But here's the other thing, and I know that this goes into some debate and controversy as well, vaccine passports or, you know, let's not call it a vaccine passport. Let's just call it documentation that you're vaccinated. If you want a digital version of your documentation, there are some states that have their own apps. And we were talking about this earlier on a separate call. But like in New York, they have the Excelsior Pass and you go up to the site, you put in your information and provided that the location where you got vaccinated properly sent the correct information to New York State into their database, they should be able to pull your information. And then you can download the pass into the iOS wallet or the Google wallet and have it with you at all times in case you need it. Not saying that you are going to do anything that requires it, but if you want peace of mind to keep a digital copy of proof of vaccination, there you go. You have that option for anyone who wants to do it. Again, there's a lot of controversy over it. And the simple fact is there's no harm in having the documentation. It's better to have extra documentation than to not have it. And it's good enough so that you don't have to carry that paper card around and risk losing it, dropping or spilling something on it, or something worse happening to it. You can keep that home and then just carry this digital document with you. If you don't want to get the pass or if your state doesn't have anything like that, but you want to just keep a copy of it, again, use your phone. Most smartphones have a decent camera. Take a picture of the front and the back and you have it as backup. And there you go. Do you have anything else that you want to add or uh, touch on in this episode? No, I think we've covered it all. All right. So thank you for listening to the David and Ron Show podcast. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, and Verbal. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. Bye.